Welcome to The Thing About Health Coaching, the first ever podcast from Your Coach Health, where we discuss advancements in health and wellness coaching, trends to watch, and the growing body of research. This episode was generated from conversations that occurred at our Global Health and Wellbeing Coaching Symposium in November of 2020, with a focus on how coaches shape happy and healthy humans. Please note that the industry is rapidly changing, so some of the information discussed may be outdated. For the latest compendium of research, be sure to follow along with us and check out our latest health coaching report. We enjoy bringing you each and every episode, and it would mean a lot if you could rate this podcast in your favorite player. And of course, hit that bell to be notified of future episodes. I know I'm not supposed to play favorites, but this panel is very near and dear to my heart. I know that in my practice and my own experience as a patient, food and music have served as powerful, but sometimes underrated tools in rounding out health programs. Today's panelists dip into the science behind food and music as important components of a client's health journey. I'm so looking forward to hearing what they will have to say, and I know you will find it fascinating as well. Please join Walter Verzawa, Josh Clemente, and Kanchan Koya in a panel moderated by Jane Metcalf. But first, a short heartwarming presentation by Walter. Thanks for having me here. I'm Walter Rosova, CEO and founder of Health Tunes, and I would like to guide you through the power of music. And um, it starts with the biggest question, what is music? And because we listen to music so much on a daily basis, we sometimes forget about it. What is it actually? What are the properties of music? There's an intellectual way to describe it. It's organized sound. and that sounds fantastic and it's the shortest definition of music. Um, but what is the healing power behind the music? And better than any words, let's describe it with this video. You're going to see a 90 year old Alzheimer patient. She was a prima ballerina in New York at the ballet. And five minutes ago, she was still in a vegetative state and awakes a little bit, is in despair again. It's just the energy is not there. You can sense and see her suffering. And here's a transformation. dynamic of the music, she wakes. Look at her eyes, she's filled with life again. I wish I could share the whole story, the whole video. It's, it's just so touching and shows the power of music in a couple of bars, bringing somebody back to life pun intended. We used it as in hospitals, trying to help people in coma to get them out of their state. And very important was to know what music they liked and talking to the family and, and, and hearing about the preferences of music. A totally different genre, so to say, is the NICU because we don't know yet what the baby might like or not. It has to be really, really, really non-complex music to help. And babies with elevated heart rate, um, we want to bring the heart rate down to resting heart rate. So it might be at 190 or so, and resting would be 145. So this baby was at over 190. And again, with a very specific music, a very simple music where the heart can entrain the baby's heart rate follows, the music slows down, and since the heart entrains along with the beat of the music, that baby's heart rate goes to resting heart rate. Um, so with those two samples, I think we really remember back about the power of that inert power of music, what, how quickly it can affect us. Already the ancient Greek knew about it and um, did a lot of 
medical research, how music and why music helps. Um, Aristoteles wrote about it, um, the Egyptians used it for mood and um, for physical ailments. Now, we're bringing this ancient knowledge back to life in a very evidence-based realm and, 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 and structure because we can't walk into the hospital and saying music helps. We really have to prove that it helps. And there is a lot of research out there and you name it, if it's seizures, it's epilepsy, if it's pain, if it's anxiety, grief, stress, burnout, there is music for you. And our goal was to make this affordable, ubiquitous, and technically easy to use. Um, this is where Healthdance comes in. So basically on our engine, you can type in a symptom, it might be chronic pain. You know the genre of music you like, it might be jazz, it might be contemporary, it might be classical, ambient, ethnic. Um, we have a lot of music available for you. And when you pick the genre, banal beats are mixed to that music. So it's not just the music which will help you here. It is a banal beat which entrain brain waves and it can help you also with uh, physiological entrainment so that the heart rate might entrain, the breathing might entrain. Um, we can stimulate the vagus, which is a very important factor of your well-being and immune system. And how does that look? So in our, on our browser, um, you would find um, a therapy builder. And on the top left, you might see that we're typing in, let's say, a burnout and classical music genre. When we click, when we find and click on that therapy, we can now add it to patient. Let's say our patient is Ludwig van Beethoven. He probably was late with the delivery of a symphony and needed a burnout session. And here we go. He, if he had an iPhone, he could enjoy now that uh, therapy. Inside the therapy, um, how does that look? How, how do we build those together? So we have a proprietary engine where we put together um, a prescription plan, so to say. You also find evidence-based research along, you can read it along when you enjoy the therapy. And we mix those, the music and the binaural beats together in a very specific algorithm. At this point, we have 252 academic articles in there, which will help you to, to read up why and what is helping. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the music. Hi, so welcome to the Food and Music as Medicine panel. Uh, I am your moderator today. My name is Jane Metcalf, and most people know me as one of the co-founders of Wired Magazine, which was 26, seven years ago in January. Um, more recently, I have been involved in um, uh, well, after Wired, I uh, got involved in a chocolate factory, which got me thinking very much about food and about the effect that food can have on uh, on your brain, on your metabolism, uh, and on your overall happiness. Uh, and uh, more recently, I started something called Neolife, which is a, uh, a newsletter and a website and now a book covering the ways in which the digital revolution it has now turned itself uh, inward uh, and is working on the body, bringing the tools of engineering and the mentality of engineering to human biology. Um, and so I am a huge fan of, uh, of what Eugene and Marina are doing here uh, with the symposium and with their new business. And I'm super interested in all the different ways that new technologies enable us uh, to find new modalities for healing uh, and growth. So I'm honored to um, have this fantastic panel here with three super interesting uh, initiatives and, uh, and people um, to, uh, to talk to. Um, all the various modalities of, uh, of treatment are on my mind right now. We're actually working on a story about focused ultrasound 
the focused ultrasound symposium uh, has been going on this month. And um, so I'm very interested in everything like sound, but there's a whole interest in a new developing field, which is the biological effects of physical energy. Um, so that includes radiation or light, um, radio frequency, electric current, um, cold and cryotherapy, heat and thermotherapy, magnesium, sound. Um, so we have the, the leading and bleeding edge, if you will. And then we have, you know, Hippocrates uh, and Imhotep before him who would say, you know, food is your medicine. So um, I'm just gonna introduce uh, the panel who we have today. Um, John Clementi uh, is the uh, founder of uh, Levels Health, which is uh, tracking metabolic health, giving people tools and platform uh, for that. We have uh, Walter Werzoa, uh, who is a composer, a producer, uh, and owner of the music production studio Music Verunuigen, LA, sort of okay? <laughs> Close enough. Okay. Um, and Health Tunes and the Music Medicine Consultancy in Vienna. And uh, we have Kanchen Koya, who is a health coach herself. Um, she is a food as medicine practitioner, and she is the founder of Spice Spice Baby, which totally wins for best name of a company on the panel. <laughs> uh, so what I asked the panelists to do is just to uh, introduce themselves and uh, say a few words about what problem they were trying to solve when they started their company. So um, Josh, why don't we start with you? Yeah, first off, happy to be on the panel and excited to, uh, to be involved with this um, conversation that I think is really meaningful and pushing us all to, to think more deeply about how we're uh, structuring our own lifestyles. My background is in mechanical engineering. I started out in aerospace. I worked at SpaceX for about six years. And during my time there, I was one of the first employees to start on the human rating process for SpaceX. So moving from delivering cargo into orbit to delivering human beings to the International Space Station. And I ultimately led a team uh, developing pressurized life support systems. So these would be the breathing apparatus that connects to the spacesuits, the, um, the environmental controls that maintain pressure and atmospheric com composition for, uh, for life. And while I was on that, uh, that program, I was exposed to a lot of the future research that NASA is undertaking to keep uh, crew members healthy well into the future on long duration orbital missions. And so you can imagine if you don't have immediate medical care available, you need to be quite confident in your uh, disposition towards chronic illness. And so this got me thinking for the first time about the, uh, the sort of vectors of health that go beyond physical fitness. Uh, I'm a CrossFit level two trainer in addition to an engineer, and I've always kind of equated physical fitness to whole body health. And, and so this research for the first time got me thinking about uh, the other elements, stress management, sleep, hygiene, uh, diet, nutrition. And uh, through this process of digging deeper into the research, I became fascinated by the lack of objective data that we use in our day-to-day -day lives. Most people do not use their own health information to guide decisions daily. And this led to a period of experimentation with me uh, ultimately discovering using a continuous glucose monitor, which is a, a new device that can measure glucose levels in the body in real time. And I discovered that I was borderline pre-diabetic with this technology. And this was despite never having an issue that objectively uh, someone would call me out and tell me I need to focus on. Uh, all of my blood markers were trending uh, in, in the normal range. And so levels exist to answer the question of what should I eat and why? And we, we do this with objective data from the individual's own body. And the goal is to make the individual the prime actor to uh, take on their own metabolic health. And in fact, to treat it like metabolic fitness with focus, effort, and repetition, we can all improve. And by doing so across large uh, numbers of people, we can improve society's metabolic health epidemic. So that's, uh, that's what I'm here to talk about. Fantastic. It is interesting, isn't it? How we're either involved in the medical system or not. And it takes something happening in your personal life or someone you love uh, to have um, the kind of renewed focus lots of people need to explore things in this level of detail. So um, super interested in hearing more about that. Um, Kanchen, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you went from um, a PhD from Harvard to um, putting recipes on a website? 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me um, to echo Josh. It's an honor to be here and to be a part of this really important conversation. So yeah, I was doing my PhD in basic molecular biology focused on DNA repair and cancer predisposition syndromes and you know, at, at a lab at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute at Harvard, which is like obviously a premier research institution. I had grown up in India with spices being an integral part of my family's kitchen and frankly taking them for granted because I just thought, whatever, like they're spices, you know. But then here I am at Harvard Medical School and my lab starts to study the active ingredient in turmeric called curcumin as an anti-cancer agent as a chemotherapeutic sensitizer in breast cancer. And it was a real aha moment for me where I saw this convergence between kind of ancient wisdom, where a lot of the spice wisdom comes from in India is, you know, the ancient Ayurvedic system of medicine that is really been around for 5,000 years, but many people in Western medicine would potentially kind of consider woo-woo. And then we have you know, cutting edge research coming back to these very old ingredients coming from mother nature um, and really trying to corroborate and validate a lot of this ancient wisdom around their benefits for health. And so I think that was just a really critical moment for me where it kind of planted a seed in my head about the power of these natural compounds. I finished my PhD and dabbled in kind of biotechnology for a few years, focusing on antibiotic drug development. And then I just became a mom and um, I don't know, I had a mindset shift and I really wanted to focus on health and wellness of my child. I wanted to focus on prevention. I wanted to focus on vitality. And I just thought as a hobby, I would start talking about spices and their health benefits for kids, for families. And I thought it would just remain a hobby, but it grew from there. You know, it became the platform Spice Spice Baby. I wrote a cookbook and I'm just so excited and glad that I get to call this work. And basically what I try to do is inspire people to really pay attention to all the gifts that we already have from nature in the form of these micronutrients that can be a part of our daily routine in our kitchens. I want to empower people to sort of leverage that on a day-to-day -day basis for health, for prevention, for vitality. And frankly, to just make life super delicious um, and to make cooking fun. So combines all my interests and I just, I'm grateful I get to call it work. Oh, that's perfect. Well, I am sitting here with a uh, cup of turmeric tea. I have all these different types of turmeric tea. And I have to just say, you know, Josh, I, I gather you're a bit of a quantified selfer, right? And so I have the Aura Ring and mm. I've been tracking my sleep and um, activity for years now uh, with the ring and never really successfully increasing the amount of REM sleep that I could get and wondering what I could possibly do to change that. And I have to say, Kanchan, I found holy basil tea about mm. six months ago and it, I can now sleep through the night. Wow. Of holy basil tea. And I've tried everything, you know, like stop work four hours in advance, which is completely unrealistic, you know, or, um, you know, completely give up drinking wine at dinner or, you know, just lifestyle modifications I couldn't or, or wouldn't make. Uh, and now with just my cup of tea, I can sort of have my glass of wine and work right up until bedtime and still sleep <laughs> at night. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan and I look forward to, um, to hearing more about, um, about what you've discovered along the way. Um, and Walter, yes, uh, sound Hello. and music as medicine. Tell us what problem you were trying to solve that led to the creation of, um, of your operation. And first off, thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure to see you all. And wow, it's, all, it's so interesting just to listen to you guys. Um, I'm composer, musician of trade. It's, I started music, architecture music, got really lucky to um, move to Los Angeles in the 90s and post-graduated film scoring there. And um, the world opened up. I could work with Spielberg and, and did a lot of audio branding. Um, I penned the uh, Intel mnemonic, that little melody, which um, unfolds when unpack Intel or whenever there's this commercial out there. And... Um, wonderful, happy musical life. And something happened. My son picked up a very rare illness, 
and um, that changed the life. And um, it had an amazing outcome. And part of it was sound healing. And that really totally skewed my perspective into a different world. And um, I'm in the second part of my life and I want to give back to the world. It's, it's, it, it really was amazing what we could experience through this. And um, we also moved back to Austria and where founded the music medicine consultancy as well. And um, beautiful things opened up. We're working right now um, with AI and um, Rutgers University and Harvard on finishing Beethoven's 10th symphony. And this will be performed in next summer in Bonn and co-writing with Beethoven is one of those amazing dreams. And um, <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, life is full of music and I'm gonna share that power of music with, with the world. And that's why we founded Health Tunes and that's a digital pharmacy streaming music based on therapies. So you can type in um, um, a symptom and found a therapy based on whatever your needs are. And quite important, it is that you also know the genre of music you like. Probably similar with the spices. It's like we all have different palettes and love different spices. And by the way, I'm also a turmeric fan and um, it's just amazing to see the health benefits of spices. And I think now that we have this panel and mix those modalities together, that could be something very potent. I completely agree. So I signed up yesterday. Um, I went on your site and uh, I started looking and, you know, I'm probably not the only one on the panel that's been experiencing a certain amount of anxiety and dread yeah. of late. And so I, um, and of course, anxiety is the first letter in the alphabet. So that was the first <laughs> symptom on your website that I could address, mm -hmm. which just struck me as sort of perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I got this really wonderful, you know, um, uh, ambient kind of feeling that I thought, why would I not just run this soundtrack all day long? That would be very powerful. And um, I think we self-medicate with music um, a lot, especially in the teenage years. And I think it survived the teenage years so beautifully because it was 24 seven self-medicating. Um, Music can be also really used as medicine and, and with a prescription, so to say. You can fall asleep with music. You could, because you mentioned before, um, enhance your REM phase with binaural beats and, and the right music. And I think that is future where we have our bio um, feedback triggering the music that it really enhances your REM phase. And, uh, that is the future, and I'm so looking forward for that. I'm really excited about that, too. But, you know, your website talks about, um, you know, things much less touchy-feely than, you know, are you dreaming enough? I mean, you talk about reducing hospital stays, increasing the efficiency of, you know, your pharmaceuticals and, um, uh, uh, let's see what else, your therapy plans That's include mm -hmm. precise mm -hmm. doses, right? So how do you... Yeah. How do you Figured those out. Um, fortunately, it it it. I have a great team, and 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 we have thousands of years of um, experience physiology, um, which we could gather and include in our research. We know so much about the effects of resonance entrainment um, in our in in our bodies. And um, we are very open about this. We gather whatever evidence we find and it's plausible and credible and have it on our site. And you could read up that part. Uh, we have this for the doctors and, and the scientists and we have also an easy read function if you just have a little time. Um, and if you ride the, the, the subway and, and just wanna know a little bit about it, why it works. It definitely enhances the efficacy of music once you know what it does and why it does what it does. Mm -hmm. And we had the pleasure to work here with the Viennese Philharmonic Orchestra and put um, um, sensors on them and see how quickly a full group of people starts in training their heart rate where the HRV immediately, 
goes into the positive realm and how we synchronize and having the breaks, the coffees, and suddenly all the physiology is chaos in a sense or very individual. You go back on the stool and they become one being, so to say. And then we put also the sensors in the audience and saw how quickly the audience would follow as well. That's so interesting. I mean, you know, we all want to be able to, nobody wants to be duped, right? Everybody wants to know mm -hmm. that the thing that they're excited about has like scientific credibility. And, you know, I mean, I'm excited because, you know, I've been hearing about the potential impacts of health impacts of binaural beats for decades. And yeah. I had hip surgery um, a long time ago and um, listened to binaural beats as a way to control the pain. And, mm -hmm. you know, at the time I was like, I have no reason to believe this is going to work, but I'm in pain. So why not? You know, it's like, <laughs> there's no reason not to. So I, first of all, just want to say thank you for, you know, compiling this body of, of work and research and generating additional research that will give people the comfort to know that this isn't just woo woo as, as Kanchen was saying, that there is mm -hmm. actual evidence um, behind this and, and clinical practice with this. So super interesting. Um, and so let's get to you, uh, John, you said that, um, you know, you were pre-diabetic. And um, so I'm curious, you know, as both an engineer and a, a trainer, I imagine that you must have this just incredible amount of self-discipline. And I'm wondering, I don't know why I think engineers have more <laughs> self-discipline than other people, but um, I figure, you know, in order to have performed, you know, for Hyperloop and SpaceX and companies like that, you must obviously be very disciplined. Um, but I'm just curious, you know, I mean, first of all, I'd like to hear about the platform and when that's going to be available and, and what that looks like. Um, and then also um, talk about how to get people to actually engage with the data and use it to change their lives. Yeah. Um, so, so firstly, I'm flattered that you, you would assume I have good discipline. I, I think I'm goal oriented, but I, uh, I actually have a lot of struggle I've realized in in reflection, maintaining my habits without feedback. And I think I'm not unique in that. Um, and in fact, Levels, we've produced a theory of behavior change after um, throughout the, the course of the company, which is that people respond to tight feedback loops. So um, in many cases, this is relevant to uh, everything that we've all spoken about thus far, where we, we want the evidence of something working. And the evidence for many of us is some amount of objective data. And the beauty and, and the luck that I have of working on this project is that we can provide that data within minutes or, or hours of the activity. And so what we're doing at Levels is we're using real-time biomarkers to close the loop between an action and a, and a person's body's reaction to that action. And so giving them data feedback on the direction, the positive or negative effects of that choice in the moment. And this is so powerful for me as a, as a person because I do struggle with, with that you know, consistent motivation. Every one of us, you know, we, we have peaks and troughs in the day-to-day the, the -day life. And, and so sticking to the path straight through without any feedback on our success thus far is really challenging for anyone. So, um, you know, we all set goals and we all stray from them without even knowing it because we're currently living our lives from emotion uh, primarily or, or something that worked for someone else or something that you read about on the internet. And so uh, the platform that we're building here is based on science that has been uh, in work for decades. So continuous glucose monitors and glucose monitoring specifically, it has been developed for the management of diabetes, which is a condition where metabolic function is lost. And it's very important that people with diabetes can immediately understand their glucose levels so that they can maintain them to avoid all the complications of metabolic breakdown, which uh, they range from uh, stroke, cardiovascular disease, polycystic ovarian syndrome, in, which is a leading cause of infertility, uh, mood disorders, Alzheimer's, which is being called type three diabetes. So it's very important that glucose levels be maintained. So this technology has been developed for that reason over decades. Decades. And recently, studies uh, like in 2015, the Weizmann Institute, Institute in Israel produced a study on people without diabetes, which showed that two people can eat the exact same two foods and have equal and opposite blood sugar responses to them. And the implications of this are, are pretty significant. It, it implies that an individual, there is no one size fits all diet, and an individual 
who has a unique blood sugar response to a certain food is also likely going to have an individual hormonal response to that blood sugar increase. So insulin is a hormone that responds to glucose. If you have a large blood sugar spike, you'll likely have a large insulin spike. And so the foods that cause these downstream effects, which cascade to weight gain, they cascade to cognitive function all the way through to, to glucose variability, which can affect cardiovascular uh, disease it's very important that you have this feedback in real time. So the platform we've built is taking hardware that was developed for diabetes and building the user experience on top of it. So connecting raw, raw data coming in from the device to a specific action and insight, helping people get simple scores on the, their day-to-day -day choices. And uh, basically in that, in that closed feedback loop style, iterating towards something optimized for them. Uh, the platform is currently in beta mode. We've been developing it for about a year now and uh, we're trending towards a wider release. But um, of course, we need to be sure that it's really striking the right notes and behavior changes sustainable from it before we, we fully launch, but coming soon. That is so exciting. And it isn't just the food that you eat, but it's also the combinations, right? Do you put protein with those noodles and what effect does that have on your uh, blood sugar levels um, after a meal? Exactly. Yeah. There's a whole host of what we call micro optimizations, which um, it can be the order of eating macronutrients. So having a salad before you have the carbohydrates can change the blood sugar response, or even just taking a simple walk, just 10 minutes of, of walking around the neighborhood, listening to binaural beats after a, a meal can completely change your metabolic function. And, and so it's, it's these types of small choices that we make which oftentimes we can dismiss as meaningless, but when you get the receipt for it, when you actually get that data minutes later, it really drives it from uh, an insight to a, to a, a habit. And then that formation of, of the habit is reinforced daily as you continue to, to follow that behavior change. And, and so it's really powerful to watch. I've benefited from it. And we've seen people uh, from the entirety of the metabolic health spectrum improve their lifestyle choices in just a short amount of time. Oh, interesting. I didn't realize that you were reaching beyond food. So you actually, you know, do you, do you recommend to somebody to go take a walk? I mean, do they get results back? And that's when you say, based on what we're seeing, you could benefit from either not eating that food or not eating that order or in that combination or taking a walk after or... That's right. Yeah. We're looking at four main vectors, diet, exercise, sleep, and stress. And this is this whole, uh, these, these four pillars kind of make up your metabolic context. So uh, for example, someone can sleep, uh, there actually studies have been done that show that just a single night of four hours of sleep versus eight hours can increase insulin resistance by 40%. And so your body will respond to the meals you're eating very differently that day after a short night of sleep. And so we can expose that information to people by bringing in sleep data and by bringing in exercise data, which we do currently in and then reflecting it back and showing people comparisons between patterns of behavior. And so now you can choose, you know, if you're compromised on a certain uh, vertical in your life, you know, you're, let's say you just had a baby and uh, you're, you know, you're not sleeping well. Well, you can take that into account and accommodate it by taking different decisions with your exercise and, and nutrition habits. And so all of that comes together in the levels software. Super exciting. So you're in beta now, by the way, I signed up. I, I don't know if you saw that or not. I got an automatic. Oh, awesome. Yeah, but I don't think you realized who it was or <laughs> sent me that. Um, but when are you planning a public launch? So we'll be expanding the, the beta program, uh, sort of ramping up over the next few months. And our goal is to be launching in the early part of 2021. 2021. Okay. Yeah. So you still got a lot of work to do. Yeah. So Kanchen, I am so happy here with my turmeric tea as the, you know, weather turns. Um, and you know, I think uh, John obviously is working with the continuous glucose monitor, which, you know, originally would only have been available to people with diabetes. You know, now you are able to get them um, without even, uh, I guess you still need a prescription though, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at your background, your um, PhD work was actually in antibiotics. And I wonder to what extent um, studying antibiotics and antibiotic resistance is part of what led you to start thinking about food as medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we, st I actually started a biotech company when I graduated from grad school with another grad school fellow grad student um, focused on trying to develop novel antibacterials for gram negative infections. Um, these are the hospital acquired infections that are becoming more and more challenging to treat where resistance is on the rise. And, you know, it was a really difficult scientific problem to solve. I mean, um, we, we reached out to cutting edge research institutions and really thought leaders in the field, but 
it became harder and harder to find something novel, patentable, that would really move the needle. Um, so, you know, I really started to think more about prevention and natural products. I mean, so many of our pharmaceuticals are derived from natural products, very often our antibiotics. I mean, our, our the starting point is the natural product. And then we go through these chemical modification steps to create something that is more efficacious and has, you know, poor, lower side effects and also can be patented, right? And I think I just started to think, what do we have at our disposal already that is powerful preventative measures, perhaps not so spoken about because of that lack of patentability. So it's really hard to patent turmeric, which is why you'll get a lot of skeptics from the pharmaceutical industry. But, you know, there's so much anecdotal evidence and also randomized control data now around the efficacy of regular turmeric use in the regimen or in the diet, supplements when required. So I think my mindset shift just happened when I realized that Yes, therapeutics have a place. Yes, the pharmaceutical industry has a really important place, but there's a real importance that I think is not placed enough of on prevention and sort of leveraging, like I said earlier, you know, a lot of these natural products that we could just bring into our kitchens on a daily basis. And so that's the stuff I like to kind of geek out over and help others appreciate and then utilize and put into practice. Mm -hmm. So do you find yourself like, actively trying to work, you know, each one of these spices into your diet every day? Is it or is it just natural? I mean, maybe this was the cuisine you grew up with. And so you know, this dish always gets this spice. I mean, is it? I mean, it's it, really kind of a question for both you, John and, um, and Kanchen. It's like, do you take the joy of cooking and eating away when you make it scientific? Uh, yeah, I love that question. <laughs> um, you know, I think you could, I think that's a really good point and something that I think people like we should all be aware of, because we don't want to do that. I really do feel like we eat for so many reasons beyond just nutrition and health. We eat for joy, we eat for connection, we eat, you know, because we want to honor ancestral practices, our culture, the food around our families. And that's so important. And I would argue probably really important for wellness as well. Um, so it's easy to get so bogged down and obsessed with sort of the details and um, the protocols that you might miss the joy of the rest of it. But me personally, no, I'm, I'm just such a foodie. I don't think I could ever become that obsessed about the health side and forego sort of the joyful aspects of eating. You know, to answer your question, I think it's a combination. I think using spices is very natural to me because I grew up with them. But I have become much more methodical and thoughtful. And I think, you know, um, almost prescript prescriptive um, with certain spices because of what I've learned in my research when writing this book and when educating my audience about some of the benefits. So just to give you a very pragmatic example, I think I said before, you know, we started this call that um, unfortunately my family has been hit by COVID. My daughter uh, has a COVID positive result. She's totally fine now, but you can bet your bottom dollar that as soon as we got that positive result, I started to make certain spiced concoctions on repeat for um, my family, for my kids, you know, leveraging the power of things like turmeric, ginger, star anise. Again, none of these are magic bullets. That's your, that's your spicy chicken broth, isn't it? Because I downloaded that recipe. I am totally making that. It is, it is. And you know, these are all incredibly flavorful and there's so much evidence around their ability to manage inflammation, to even potentially have some antimicrobial effects. Again, they're not magic bullets. They're not meant to be a cure for this virus, but, or any virus, but they can help your body do what it does best. And so I do it by habit, but I'm also quite methodical now that I know more about how these spices work. Right. Josh, what, what would you have to say about that? Because, you know, it's sometimes these diets could be renamed like eat to be grumpy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's a, it's a really great point. And I think the power of the, the full-time technology is that it's not grounded in any single dietary philosophy. And so we have people who come to us who are, you know, they've chosen to be ketogenic because they have, they have a predisposition for Alzheimer's disease or they're fully plant-based for ethical reasons or, uh, or what have you. It's an entire broad range and spectrum of reasons that they 
want to eat a certain way. And the beauty of the technology is that it allows you to ground that philosophy in data. And so um, it's not, there will never be a case where levels will tell you to avoid a food. It's, uh, it's always the case that you can learn more about the context within which you are consuming that food and design a lifestyle that supports a certain, uh, you know, a, a basically a, a way of living that gives you confidence as opposed to fear. We're, we're constantly living in a, in a state of uncertainty about, am I making the right choices? And people are oftentimes bouncing back and forth between extreme diets for years. And so I think the, the, the benefit of this is that it can really remove that anxiety and allow you to eat in a way that is stress relieving and emotionally, uh, you know, fulfilling with your family and also have confidence that it's working in the direction of your goals. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, we can always take things to a, to a, an unhealthy extreme. It, it's kind of part of the human condition and certain people will, but uh, on net, I think the, the more information we have, the higher the confidence level can be, which I think is a key thing that's missing from our nutrition choices today. That's so true. People really don't know. And, you know, if I hit that afternoon slump after lunch, I put so many things in my salad. It's like, is it one of those things? Is it all of them together? Is it the time mm. I ate what I ate last night? You know, same when your baby is, you're nursing a newborn and your baby's crying and you're like, oh, it must be the garlic or the spicy food last night or whatever. And I remember my doula said, babies cry, Jane. It's like, right, <laughs> I'm not going to worry about this. Um, and, and Walter, I'm wondering, you know, maybe there's music to be playing if you're busy, you know, following some incredibly rigid diet. The beauty of music is it's so personal. It's like, um, I think, and I don't want to say anything wrong, the turmeric works similar to people, to mankind. Um, music is very, very specific. But th there are, there's like one great paradigm. It's like, I'm sure you've, you've seen it when people are in grief or, or sad or depressed, that they would listen to sad, melancholic music. And also melancholic music is very different culturally. Somebody in Albania is listening to Duke music which seems very sad to a Westerner and um, for them, it's very happy for her. So when you listen to melancholic music, your brain produces prolactine and prolactine is an amazing hormone. Um, it's mostly produced um, um, with women when they breastfeed and it helps you to overcome drama birth trauma. It, it makes you literally see things in a different perspective. And when you listen to melancholic music, it's for men the same thing. You have more prolactine. You can see this in fMRIs and, and, and tests, how much more prolactine is produced. With that, you see your problem differently. And um, you find solutions this way because you really have this perspective change as well. You, of course, have vagus stimulation um, with that music you really tend to. And um, so I would encourage anybody, if you have friends or kids and they're down and they listen to sad music, you think this will bring them even further into that slump, let them do that and let them live through this in their own way and they will come out better. That's so beautiful and so interesting. I literally just got off a call with somebody, you know, who was trying to sort of help me with this sense of anxiety. And, you know, his point was, don't just brush it away. It's like, well, no, I have a, I have a conference. He's like, no, sit with the anxiety. Because yeah. by brushing things away, by being regimented, we got to go to our next meeting or whatever, we're actually suppressing that physiological um, yeah. process of-, of this, Yeah, so process. great what you're saying. Music is a dialogue. Music is your friend you talk to and understands you and understands you in your own way. And um, I think it's just incredible ingredient in therapy to sit with you, um, not even next to you, with you and help you through stuff. So I think the three of us are all pretty clear on what you're doing and how it can benefit. And for anybody um, who's interested in learning more, I recommend that you go to all three of their websites because there's a lot of very um, consumable science. Um, I think there's probably also hard to consume science somewhere, but I focused on what you, your messages were to a, to a general public, a general audience, and then there's a whole lot to learn. Um, 
but I just wanted to ask you this question. You know, there was some research um, two weeks ago I came across uh, about the essential failure of behavioral interventions to actually change people's behaviors. And, you know, this was a survey of literature. Um, you know, yesterday I came across a clinical trial that JAMA reported. They were looking at whether vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acid supplements, and strength training exercises would improve things like blood pressure, broken bones, infections, and so forth among older adults. And so the, they did this regimen for uh, three years in 70-year-olds, and they saw no appreciable improvement. So I guess the question is, what resistance do people have? You know, is, it, is there enough evidence now that these things, these, these modifications in behavior can actually make a difference? And then what do we do, you know, as health coaches, as, as chief medical officers for our family or our, our couple or just ourselves, what do we actually do to make those changes happen? Well, I, my, my perspective is um, my my perspective is much of what we've done in behavioral science has treated the participant as the subject of a of a trial, and I think that you know to some extent, and this is this is generalizing, um, it negates the emotional side of the process of behavior change. And I believe that the lifestyles we build are oftentimes grounded in something beyond just the utility of the choice we're making. Um, it's, we are not robots and we don't make decisions robotically. And, and so it, it has to appeal to uh, an end goal that we subscribe to for us to really internalize and, and put it into practice. And so I just, I think that what we've potentially done is we've showed the negative outcomes. We, we understand what happens when there's disarray and when people don't have goals and they don't bring um, you know, strong lifestyle choices every single day, but we haven't gone so far as to connect the dots for the individual at the individual level and shown them the progress along the way. You know, it, it, oftentimes behavioral change research is, you know, it's a 12 week interventional trial and we'll take data at the beginning and in the middle and at the end. Um, well, well, that kind of, that data is for the researcher. It's not for the individual. And so providing the individual with waypoints, I think is, is something that, that we're implementing. It's again, it's that theory of closed loops, equal behavior change. People want to know that the decision they're making has an impact and that can help overcome the short-term discomfort of implementing that behavior change. Because let's be honest, we all have inertia, right? We're moving in one direction and to get us to change directions is not easy. It requires an input and it requires us to sustain that. So um, yeah, my, my theory is just that uh, treating the individual as a unique, you know, a person and understanding that they have different perspectives and, and they will, um, I think, respond to, uh, you know, a required change differently is, is the first step to really reaching lasting behavior change at a social scale. So we've covered a lot about um, personalized nutrition uh, in, uh, in our newsletter and on our website uh, at Neolife. And um, we've looked at Viome and Day One and um, a couple of other companies. Initially, we were looking at uh, the microbiome. And of course, the time lag between when you get the sequencing results of your microbiome test uh, and when you actually took it, so many things have changed and your microbiome can fluctuate with a bowel movement. So, um, I think the continuous glucose monitor is a super interesting um, and and immediate feedback loop, which is which is useful. You know, and I'm sitting here thinking, I wonder if uh, Conscience should you know partner with you on some level to uh, to see what the differences are. And you know, I'm actually mostly interested in um, cooking your recipes. I've actually <laughs> I'm definitely doing that spicy chicken broth. Um, I want to do your vroom vroom energy bites. <laughs> um, They're good. Yeah. I mean, if you put cardamom in, you know, a pan of almond milk and put it on the stove, you can change people's behaviors or orienting them towards consuming cardamom. Yeah. You know, I just want to say something really quick about that question, which I loved and I encounter a lot when I work with clients um, on behavior change. I think very often people are so fixated on outcomes and goals, which are good and great. But as James Clear, you know, the best-selling author of Atomic Habits kind of suggests, what if we fall in love with the systems that will lead us to the goals? It's kind of just yeah. saying to people, you know, what if you fall in love with the the actual actions, the actual habit, the goal will follow as a natural consequence. So yes, if you can make having your golden latte this incredibly joyous 
addictive experience because you put some cardamom on the stove and you're really intentional about it that's falling in love with a habit that you know nourishes you and i think that's something we can take to all our habit changes whether it's exercise meditation glucose monitoring which i'm a huge fan of um any of those things fall in love with the process and the goals will follow i love that that's I great. just bought myself this really fabulous pair of leopard print workout tights. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> oh, they just came. Let's go work out. <laughs> um, cook together. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, I'm curious if you all think that, um, I mean, you know, during this pandemic, we've been um, confronted with and forced to reckon with the vast numbers of people who do not have access to clean environments, balanced diets, um, you know, either the time or the equipment or the space, you know, to exercise, you know, I think the, um, the huge divide between the haves and have nots, you know, has become really sadly and grossly apparent, especially in this country uh, or in the U.S. I don't know where this country is, <laughs> this <laughs> symposium. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, are, are your suggestions for everyone? You know, are, are they, are they for the worried well? Are they for the high performing, you know, elite athlete? Are they for the extremely sick? You know, are they for, you know, the wealthier? Are they for the poor? I mean, how do you think about that? They are definitely for everyone and everybody. Um, you, in, with health tunes, you need to know the music you like and probably pretty much anybody knows if they are more into jazz, classic, or ambient, or world. Um, I think the biggest challenge is that we are living more and more in vacuums, that the world becomes the way we want it to. And especially our kids now being on Zoom and in the computer world, they can make the world exactly this way and control it and think, this is my world. And I think we still grew up in a world where the world influenced us and not we that environment around us and i think music can help here to expand and to make the walls a little bit wider and i would suggest that people listen to lesser music with headphones and listen to the sounds on the street open the window and even if you don't love that sound we learn so much there is a research somebody recorded over the last 40 years on the same day at the same places sounds of nature and if you follow that trail it was beautiful enormous 40 years ago there were like you there were thousands of insects so you couldn't hear one insect now you start hearing this one single insect anymore so the the whole um, um, training for our ears and which is also perspective and, and um, equilibrium, we lost that and expand, listen to different music, different sounds, different herbs in your palate and, and sound is important. And, and I'm sure that um, like SpaceX, you probably um, researched with the Schumann resonance that if that sound is missing in space, people get ill, psychologically ill quickly. So there's certain frequencies which we need to feel okay or you will get sick. And it's a frequency we don't actually hear. It's so low frequency, but um, there's such an amazing mystery around that. That's so interesting. And I know we're running out of time, but I really have to ask you this because I just um, interviewed David Eagleman, uh, a neuroscientist yeah. who's just recently published a new book about um, uh, neuroplasticity. And he talks about if um, inputs to a particular uh, region of your brain stop coming because a nerve was severed or you lost your mm -hmm. eyesight or something, that other neurons in the brain will actually move into that area and take it over and use it for processing whatever it is that it processes. And you just provoked me to wonder if the lack of these sounds, like the sound of insects, is having an impact on our brain in ways that, uh, that we're unaware Definitely. of. Definitely. You can transfer... Um, and, and um, Gottfried Schlag at Harvard, you might know him, he did a lot of research about speech impediment after strokes by helping the patients to sing 
And because you store this, the word singing memory somewhere else than the speaking memory. So they could sing, I am feeling bad, but they couldn't say, I am feeling bad. But with because yeah. it's stored somewhere else, they start talking again and finding sense. And that is the, again, music power. It's like neuroscience, it's, it's all one. That's beautiful. Uh, Josh, were you, you know, obviously something like yours is, I think, um, projected to go out at $400, um, you know, for yeah. a month. And so, you know, are you targeting people the worried well until you can bring the price down and make it available to others? Or, you know, are, are you going out to target, um, you know, people with diabetes? I mean, are you working in a medicalized environment or more of a consumer environment? How, how do you think about this? So we're, um, we're essentially focusing on the aspirational metabolic fitness uh, theme, which is that every one of us has a metabolism and every day we're making choices where our sleep habits, our dietary habits, our exercise habits, and those stack up to an outcome. And we can set our sights aspirationally with metabolism. It can't be, oh, I hope I don't get diabetes. It can be uh, every day I feel confident that I'm making choices that are making me optimal or pushing me closer to optimal. And this applies to someone who, whether they want to lose, you know, a hundred pounds to get back on track, or they want to shave five seconds off of a hundred mile time. All of us have metabolisms and every one of us can be optimizing. Today, we're in an environment where the technology is expensive and it's, uh, you know, it's been developed again in a medical environment. There's a lot of regulatory hurdles that had to be overcome and it's, it's quite pricey. And so uh, right now, you know, we are, we are clear that we're in a premium bracket and uh, we're working with a lot of athletes and a lot of folks who are, you know, on the executive uh, end of the, of the workforce. And um, that is how we are starting. And the ultimate goal though, is to make this the tool that reverses the trends of metabolic dysfunction. And we know that in order to do so, uh, this needs to be a mainstream product that's available at the lowest socioeconomic barriers. And, uh, and so we're very clear eyed about this. You know, we've written a document called the secret master plan, which is essentially a, uh, it's a ripoff of Tesla and how Tesla started. They financed their, their $35,000 model three by starting with a $150,000 roadster. And we just know that the pace of technology requires, uh, R and D it requires innovation. And then it requires the market forces of supply and demand to, to work in a new and higher volume market. So, uh, with more adoption, um, and, and people seeing that this is something that it's not for sick, sick people. It's for people who don't intend to get sick, uh, over time, we'll be able to, to reach everyone. I feel very confident. So, um, we have about 30 seconds for each of you to answer this next question. And Josh, maybe we'll start with you because, um, you know, when we started this, you know, I asked what problem were you trying to solve? And so now my question is how far along are you in your mission? Well, we're, the company's about a year old. Um, I've been wearing a continuous glucose monitor continuously for three years now. And uh, we are in the very infancy of the company. So although we have customers and we have a lot of enthusiasm and organic traction, uh, in fact, we have a wait list with almost 50,000 people on it without really doing any marketing. Uh, the the traction is just telling us that we have a long way to go and that uh, there's a ton of organic demand and people want to know more about themselves, but uh, it's on us to deliver and to make the product that helps people understand themselves and how to get better. So uh, right now, yes, very early phase. We're, we're building the team that will, that will, I think, reverse metabolic dysfunction here and abroad and um, long, long road ahead. And we're very excited for the challenge. Good thing you're young. <laughs> uh Conscience, what would you say? I would say on the one hand, I feel like I'm very far along. I started in 2014 and it's, you know, 2020. And I feel like I've really helped a lot of people um, feel very empowered in their kitchens through food as medicine. But it's a continuous journey. It's a continuous process. And my goal is to just keep people inspired. And, you know, thinking about that point you made about behavior change being hard, like continue to inspire them to fall in love with the daily habits, the daily processes. And I think where I'd really like to go is in a more nuanced functional food direction. So really combining functional ingredients and recipes, kind of similar to what Walter's doing for specific diseases, you know, being able to say I'm dealing with prediabetes, or I'm dealing with, you know, Alzheimer's risk, 
what can I eat? And then I sort of suggest specific recipes for those conditions, whether it's prevention or treatment, that would be something somewhere I really want to go. And it's sort of a early days there. That's exciting. Well, I want to thank you for the recipes I've already come across and I cannot wait to make the cashew fudge cranberry dessert for <laughs> my it's kids. It's incredibly easy to make. So that's great. Walter, this is a lifelong mission for you, I gather, but uh, how would you answer the question? Yeah, it's at least this life and some past lives and future lives. Um, I have arrived. I'm very, very happy um, in, especially California, there's this abbreviation MVP, Minimal Viable Product, which I never really liked. And I never was really happy with where we were. And finally we are, and we're the the best possible product and um, I'm very proud of it and we're going B2B right now and I'm very excited how the world will take that on and we tested over the last years um, and I got a lot of information out of the testing so I'm glad and happy to be where we are right now. That's perfect and I am glad and happy to have met all three of you um, you know, when, when Eugenia Marina asked me to do this panel, it's like, are you kidding? <laughs> I would love to do that panel. And, you know, I had high expectations coming in, but I have to say this was really fantastic. Um, you know, to the extent that uh, we're out here on the bleeding edge, you know, with our uh, digital revolution enabling us to see inside the body and understand our biological systems in all new ways. And, you know, our AI and our machine learning allowing us to see patterns and, you know, correlations and ultimately causations of, of disease. And, you know, maybe AI is going to help us find new cures and new drugs, but, you know, and, and you're all taking advantage of all that technology and all that science, but you're also tapping into this like ancient wisdom and ancient knowledge and sort of connecting us back to the things we already know about how to live a healthy, happy life. And so I think you guys are like super cool and I really appreciate it. Um, your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.